0: I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning Podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Now, I've been wanting to talk to this wonderful lady for so long, and I just learned how to pronounce her name right, Rochelle Danae Poth. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Laura. I'm so glad
1: you're here. This I'm so is, glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, this is fun. I, um, we did get a selfie together. so I I'm know.
1: Gonna... <laughs> Can you it, believe that was in October?
0: It just seems like yesterday. It does. I can't even believe it. So, Rochelle is in the cold country right now. <laughs> and and uh, I'm so glad she took some time out to talk to me. But I'm going to boast about you just a little bit, all right? Okay. You can turn red. That's okay. (laughs) I I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rochelle is a Spanish and STEAM and what she calls what's next in emerging technology teacher at Riverview Junior Senior Senior High School in Oakmont, Pennsylvania. Did I get that right? You did. It was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It it was hard to get it out for a minute there. (laughs) And Rochelle is the host of the weekly formative chat. And I just love what you do there. I try to get in there. It's right after my chat, Rethink Learning, and and uh, it's amazing. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Okay. okay. And I don't know if people know this, but you're going to be the author of
1: three books, not just one, coming out soon,
0: right?
1: <laughs> yep. Three. I just decided to do you know, a little bit more in style, get it all over with. No, not really.
0: <laughs> well, we'll talk about that one too. And I don't know if people know this, by the way, Rochelle is also an attorney. That does surprise
1: people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I really I've been following you for a long time so it's always fun to do these conversations because I find out more about you but I knew I've known you virtually seen you at conferences I don't know even know how long. I know the time so flies glad. though. <laughs> I know so welcome welcome so much I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here so thank you. You're welcome. Well, I always like to start with kind of learning a little bit about you and your family, you know, how it all gets
1: started. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, I'm an only child. And so growing up, you know, my parents were, they worked. And most of the time, whenever they were working, when I came home from school, I'd spend with my grandparents. Um, I had some friends that lived nearby, but most of my time really was spent probably being uh, in my grandparents' home, either my dad's father uh, or my grandparents who had a farm and I would spend time there after school or in the summers or um, in the evenings or so forth because my parents worked in Pittsburgh. And so it was not uncommon that they would not get home until like 6.30 or 7 in the evening. And so I spent a lot of time by myself, but um, in the sense that like I didn't have any other children in the house to play with. So I kind of passed my time and I laugh when I see old, older pictures of this, but playing school, um, or hanging out with my cats, which any of my friends they always are making comments about me having cats and knowing all there is to know about cats or technology. But um, those are just like some memories of my childhood that I don't know. I'm very thankful for the way that I was that I was raised because it was always. I mean, we didn't have VCRs or any of the technology back in the '80s, and so you didn't have distractions. And my parents really emphasized, you know, school and studying and being prepared. And my grandparents kind of helped me with like a work ethic. Um, hard work too, sometimes on the farm, picking strawberries at 6.30 in the morning. But when I think back to like all of those times that I spent with them, um, you know, if I could change anything, like there was nothing that I would change because I feel like the childhood that I had and the experiences I had kind of started to form, you know, who I am as a teacher and as a person, even before I knew I wanted to go into teaching, if any of that kind of makes sense. (laughs) You said you were on a
0: farm. I mean, was that your parents' farm or
1: your grandparents' farm? No, it was my grandparents. Um, They used to have, when my mom was was young, they had animals. But as far back as I can remember, they just had a lot of land and, you know, corn, strawberries, you name it. It was awesome (laughs) to be there in the summer. Not so much at six in the morning when you're out picking strawberries, but the benefits of it uh, were pretty great.
0: And so what city were you born in? I mean, did you live in when you were growing up?
1: It's a small town called North Huntington, and it's probably about 30 minutes east of Pittsburgh, um, just a suburb, very small, but where my grandparents live probably is about 10 minutes from where I live now. And so a lot of like farmland back then, of course, now a lot of it has been taken over by housing plans, but some of the original farms, like my grandparents' house underneath was a log cabin, so it was pretty neat. Oh
0: my goodness. (laughs) See, I used to live every summer in Pittsburgh. So, oh, okay. Yeah, wow. I
1: love that town. It's just beautiful. It is. There's so much to do.
0: It's a little cold right now. It is. <laughs> and snowy. <laughs> yeah, a little cold, but it is still beautiful. Oh, well, that's really cool. Did you have any struggles in school or was everything pretty easy for you?
1: A uh, eh, little bit of a mix. I I think I, I don't remember having any struggles probably up until seventh grade when I started to take algebra. And math was a little bit difficult for me. Um, I did struggle with uh, social studies. My dad would question me about you know, geography, and I, I really had a hard time remembering where things were on a map. But I do remember my grandmother would quiz me about the state capitals or the times tables and a lot of those basic kind of things that you learn growing up. And, uh, but math was probably the biggest struggle starting in seventh grade, then even in ninth grade in geometry. I had a really hard time the first half of the year, but a lot of it was, I just didn't really know how to study for it. And so once I kind of got a handle on that, it it went better or well, it was better, not that it went better, but it improved. (laughs) Well, it's,
0: it's interesting because, um, you know, what you're talking about are, uh, spatial and memorization and some of those things, because I'm, and I know you now you're, I mean, you're so out-of-the-box thinker and you're very creative. Um, did they ever tap that in school?
1: No, I, I mean... It's interesting when I think about my memories, and and I don't know, sometimes I get confused. I'm like, do I actually remember this, or is it because I've seen a picture and I've formed kind of this memory based on that picture? And so it's hard to draw that distinction sometimes, but then I'll find, you know, artwork that I did or worksheets. Like over at my parents, there are so many boxes full of papers and things, and so it's interesting to go back and look at the way that I was taught um, to find out who I was as a student. And I know that there were a lot of opportunities to be creative. Like I found some things from my seventh grade year. I think we had to do an anthology of poems. And there were probably 70 poems that I used a typewriter to type, which wasn't that much fun at that point. But then I, I drew on every single page. I had some kind of an illustration. and um, But after that, I don't remember ever— Being or feeling creative or, like, thinking out of the box or anything, like you mentioned now. Even now, I don't necessarily think about that. But I do think that having gone to law school, that it pushes me to think in multiple different ways to try and, like, problem-solve. So I think that may be where I started to, like, go into that direction. So what made you go into law school?
0: I mean, why you said that, but was it because of— You feel like you're more logical thinker. You feel, like <laughs> uh,
1: no, I mean, what what made me go into law school was actually I originally had considered or thought about becoming a paralegal. Uh, I think I read a lot of books on law and just developed this interest in it. And then whenever I graduated uh, from my undergrad with French as my major, basically and secondary education. I couldn't find a job. And so I was substituting for a while, which I I really enjoyed being a substitute. But every interview that I went on just for a French position, they suggested that I go and get some additional certification. And actually one of the suggestions was history and another one was math. And I thought, I don't really think that I could do either one of those. So I went into Spanish and during the Spanish coursework at Pitt, we had to do like medical and legal translation. And it was then that I started to think about like, Law. I was very interested in it. Um, I knew I couldn't apply and quit teaching just because. I mean, I love teaching. That wasn't. It wasn't an issue. It was more like a personal kind of fulfillment and an interest to see if I could do it. Um, And so, I actually, when I applied, I didn't even tell anybody that I applied. I just applied and just figured, you know what? I'll find out, and then I'll know, and I won't wake up thirty years from now and wonder if I could have or should have. So you, you were a teacher first. You went. You were a substitute teacher,
0: and when you said teacher, were you a full time teacher? I was. I, I did
1: substitute for three years and then okay. I got my Spanish certification. And when that happened, actually three months before that happened, a temporary half year, three periods a day position opened up in my school that I'm currently at. And so I took that position. And at the end of that school year, the man who was the Spanish teacher there decided to retire. And so they interviewed and I was fortunate to, you know, interview and get the position. And so I've been there. I think this is my 24th year. Uh, it, it's surprising how fast it goes, but I think two years ago we had an award ceremony and they called us up on stage and a woman that also teaches in my district said, oh, I thought it was only like my 19th year. I didn't realize it was my 20th. So <laughs> I've been there for a while.
0: <laughs> so um, you were, you were a Spanish teacher, but during that time, you went to law school. I'm trying. I'm trying to get the timing right here.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, I was spending a lot of time in school when I applied. I applied to Duquesne because Duquesne had an evening program, and I, I knew that I couldn't take time off from teaching because. Like I didn't want to, but they had the evening program. And so when I got the letter that I was accepted, I thought it would be kind of like the undergrad where you would just go through the catalog and pick your schedule and just go, you know, however long it took you. But when I called, they said that it was four years, four nights a week, four different classes. And so for those four years, which I still think back now, like, how did I do that? Mostly what I did was I went to school and then stayed at school, and went down to the law school and studied in the library and then went to class, getting home at like 10 o'clock at night. I did go probably one day per week to do the drive back home, even if only for a half an hour to change, kind of like break away from the school and then and then drive back down, which on those days I was driving, I mean, not a terrible length, but it was probably about 110 miles uh, between school and home and then to Pittsburgh and back. But I just needed kind of that break in the middle of the week to refresh a little bit. Uh, and then I studied all weekend. But it was something that once I started, uh, you know, I struggled even there because I, I wasn't sure that I would make it. It was, it was pretty difficult to balance all of that. But I also knew that by putting myself out there um, because I wanted to do and I was so invested in it that I had to do whatever it took and just figure it out. And if that meant staying up late or getting up early or cutting out some of the you know, habits like maybe taking a nap in the afternoon because I could before that, then that's what I had to do. And uh, it's hard to believe that, I mean, I graduated in June of 20, or no, 2006, I almost said 2016, 2006, (laughs) and took the bar that that July. And uh, I passed it, fortunately, because that is not a test I would want to have to take again. But so now it's been almost 13 years since I graduated, and uh, I'm not practicing. I have done some work on the side, but it's just a, a choice that I have that if I want to pursue it, I can. It's just about opportunities. And I don't think that I would be Doing a lot of the things that I'm doing now as a teacher uh, and professionally, had I not had that experience,
0: that's amazing. I mean, I, it's hard enough as a teacher. I can't even imagine adding law school on top of that, and then even working as a lawyer. So, did from what you learned about policy and and the law, how did did you integrate that into some of your classes?
1: Well. Not too much, but it's interesting because you become a little bit more perceptive to different things in the classroom. Um, you're, I think I became more aware of like student behaviors and just you know understanding like in conversations and communication because if students, and it was kind of fun, because if students would tell me one thing, I would think about it and give pushback in a different way or a different direction, or um, just even, it's kind of funny actually, studying things like forensic sciences in one course where you learn about crime scenes and everything. I had one student one time who had dropped a crayon and uh, they said that they accidentally slid it across the floor. Well, it had pushed this crayon so much into the linoleum that you could not you couldn't get it out. I was trying to scrub it away, it just didn't work. But before I even attempted that, I looked at it and the pattern of it and how it, like in, it was just pushed down into that floor. And I said, I don't doubt that you accidentally dropped it. But what I think happened after it is you didn't feel like reaching for it. And you took your foot and started to drag it. And when you did that, you noticed how it was kind of like pushing down into the floor. And as you got your leg closer to your desk, it got worse. And that's just what happened. And I just saw these big eyes. I said, "Please, am I right or am I wrong? What yeah, you're right. I said, I knew it. <laughs> like you can't, but it it's interesting sometimes. I mean, you have those funny interactions, and then that actually came at a really good time because it was a student who I'd been trying to kind of work with and build a relationship with, and other things that I had tried didn't work. But that little bit of like not reacting and, and kind of punishing, because I think the per- they expected to be punished for it. And I said, no, we're going to talk about it. Because I think the, the first comment was, well, they have people to clean that. I said, well, they, there are people who clean, but they don't need to clean like, things that are intentionally done. Uh, so we had a conversation about you know, responsibility. And, but it ended up being kind of like a, just a, a new beginning, I guess, in a sense, because we were able to take that and then build upon it. Um, so it's, it's why I think like those small moments and those little interactions that you don't necessarily intend to have something like that happen, but being aware and noticing things sometimes just might be that one piece that's missing when you're trying to connect with a student. Wow. I,
0: everybody needs that. <laughs> I mean, right now, um, it's so easy when you're frustrated as a teacher I and mean, you're overwhelmed to just react and not t- take time like you did to build those relationships. That is beautiful. And yeah,
1: it's it hap- it's happened a lot more over the last probably two years. And I have had those frustrated moments. And even a few weeks ago I had a moment in one of my classes and I, I talked to the students about it and I said, you know, I'm probably gonna feel really bad about my reaction to this later tonight and, and over the weekend. I said because I don't feel like I handled it well. But I had reached you get to that point sometimes where you just you've tried everything and you're holding out the patience and it just it it boils over. And it bothers me a lot because I I don't want to go in that direction. And um, taking that time to reflect and think about it, and I, I questioned myself, like, am I reacting to the behavior or am I more focused on the student? Like, where does my focus need to be? There have been times, I'm sure all teachers can say, like, they lost it or they yelled. And I just don't like how it makes me feel. And I think that you know, for me, I need to be more intentional about trying to have a conversation or trying to to figure out what's causing something instead of just reacting initially. Like, take the breath, take a minute, think about it, and then respond.
0: Oh, that's great advice. I mean, even if you didn't go to law school, (laughs) teachers need to know that the relationships really matter. And I'm sure that because you had that talk with that one student I bet your relationships were, you
1: know, much, much better through the year, right? They were. And uh, there was one other other interaction after that. And I think it left me feeling. So it was really weird. It was on a Friday afternoon. And I even said to one of my colleagues, I said, I don't really know how I feel right now. I feel kind of like happy and sad and just I don't know what to make of it. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, I just had this other interaction. And I think for the first time, like I really saw this this student. I really saw them as the person and their needs and interests. And it was a long time in the making. And that was just like one small step leading up to that. Uh, It was a good feeling, but just initially I thought, wow, am I seeing the student or the behavior? And so it's like viewing through a different lens. I think I started to kind of call it and I've tried to be a lot more intentional about doing that. Um,
0: I, I like this quote, am I seeing the student or the behavior? Um, I think the uh, issue with teachers right now is that the time it takes to build those relationships, they just don't know how to fit it in. And to me, if you don't build the relationships, then you're you're taking away um those teachable moments you're also taking away something that's really valuable is that relationship that you could make and so you know you're doing this Have, i i know you give lots of speeches i know you do a lot of writing are you going to be talking and
1: writing about this also i am <laughs> yeah i'm so <laughs> that, glad that uh and i actually after there were a couple instances and that was probably 2 years ago where i i didn't react as i as i thought i should have after looking back upon it and wrote about it and blogged and shared it out and it was a little bit uncomfortable putting that out there because you make you're vulnerable when you do that and um, i just realized like you know what i i'm the adult and i have more control and i can't like i need to not react to the behavior and a lot of times like i don't even want to know necessarily I want to know the information about students that I need so that I can provide the best that I can provide for them. But there are other things that I don't necessarily want to know because I don't want any, I don't know if the right way to say it, but I don't want anything to cloud my judgment or to have kind of like this preconceived idea about who they are based on a behavior that they might have had in the past, if if that's the best way to say it. So I have been trying to write more about that in the blog probably two years ago was the first time. And... In one of the books, I do have a part about seeing the student instead. This idea of seeing the
0: student—these are people we forget. We, we, it's like the numbers. I have so many in my class. I have to get over and cover the curriculum, and I hear that. And um, I, I found that uh, you're an author at getting smart. And I'm, I'm passing over some things and then come back because I, I there's so much about you. I'm sitting here trying to. Uh, make sure that we let everyone know some of the things that you're doing. And I saw um, that you were writing, I think you've been writing blogs for them for some time. Yes. Right. Um, And in 2018, you had three of the top blogs in 2018 on getting smart. So tell me how you got started. And, and, you know, it's one of those blogs that really stand out right now.
1: Well, it's kind of funny because if you would have asked me probably six or seven years ago to write a blog, I I would not have known what you were talking about. I didn't know. I mean, i had heard of blog. I didn't know what it stood for, what it meant, what it involved. And at some point years ago, actually, when I was like 18, I thought about writing a book and uh, that never really panned out. But the first blog that I had to write was with, or for, SurveyMonkey. I had asked them probably six years ago now, if not, and my time frame is kind of off sometimes because it goes so quickly, but I had asked them to provide some different items just to display at conferences because I had been using SurveyMonkey just to do, to have students give me feedback about our class, the activities, and they asked if I would write a blog. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And they gave me some guiding questions They gave me a length, and I think the length was anywhere between 700 and 1,000 words, which I thought was a lot, and I had no idea what I would write about. So I sat down and I did that first one, and then I did a few more after that. And then it was at that point I thought, oh, well, I'm just kind of writing about my experience. So then I started to write for um, Teach Thought probably five years ago now. And that I would just submit ideas to... Uh, They're the editor, and they were actually the first ones I started were just about tech integration, tools that I was using, uh, why I was deciding to use some technology. And over the years, I kind of just built upon some of those uh, activities I was doing in my own classroom. But then with Getting Smart, they have different themes each month. And I do like to write about things I'm comfortable with, like things I've done in my classroom. Uh, But I also like the challenge of doing some research and kind of figuring out things that are new to me and that might be a stretch or to stretch my thinking. And so last year, I think a a lot of the articles that I did write were in different areas. Uh, For example, artificial intelligence, the gig economy, social emotional learning. And uh, those, I know I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on, what gig economy meant. And with artificial intelligence, that's been something I've been kind of working on, learning more about for the past year. So those kind of pushed me in a different direction. It was definitely out of my comfort zone, but it gave me a lot of new knowledge that I could then bring back to my students too, which made it all that much more beneficial.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just curious because I, all of these AI and SEL, all of those, you could apply to your classroom. I mean, you could, and, and even asking the kids what they know about artificial intelligence, they probably think they know, but they don't. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, definitely. We'll put up some links to some of your blogs because especially maybe the ones that you mentioned, because, I'm sure people are uh, curious about the digital economy and where it's going and what it means for all of us. And so um, you probably have touched on that. And I didn't know you wrote for Teach Thoughts. So that's, thank you for that also. Do you have your own website
1: that you write on? Yeah, it's... um it's pretty, like all of my handles for everything are pretty consistent. It's the rdene E nine one five. It just makes it easy. It goes back to the AOL email days. I started with, you know, an email address. I just kind of kept it, but that's where I have uh, blogs that I'll just write on my own. And then whenever I do write something for Getting Smart or another publication, then I will cross post them on mine as well.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So, you're you're reaching lots of different audiences because of that. So, before we go on to your books, I I know that you're involved with Formative Chat, but you're also involved. I asked you to say what communities are you involved in? There's like a half a page here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave them in, but do you want to just tell us a few?
1: Yeah, uh and it's funny because for many years I didn't want to do anything with social media. I didn't understand Facebook or Twitter. And now looking back, if I had not made those accounts and and started to make connections, I can't even imagine where I would be because the people that I've been able to connect with have brought so many opportunities into my own life, but also, more importantly, to my students. And so for some of them, I mean, I'll start with uh, my 53s, which is a close group of friends all connected through conferences and Twitter that um, we are in touch every single day. We communicate through Voxer. Uh, they are a huge part of my life, and so I'm thankful for them. Uh, the 4 O'Clock Faculty PLN, which is a group <laughs> that formed from the book study of the book, The 4 O'Clock Faculty, it ended like last January, and those of us in the group just decided to stay together and keep the conversation going, and here we are over a year later. We've we've met in person at conferences, so it's pretty neat how we've formed this kind of like family and connected uh, educators is that um, Rich says? It is. Oh, I didn't know he had a... P- there was a
0: PLM that went with that. Because well, I know that
1: he. <laughs> there wasn't originally, but then nobody really wanted to leave. I-, I guess when we do book studies on Voxer, a lot of times when the book study ends, people feel awkward about leaving because you've formed that connection. You've had those conversations. It's become part of your every day. And so nobody wanted to leave. And so I think somebody suggested, well, why don't we just keep the group? And we even have like stickers, uh, we have t-shirts. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been, it's been really great connecting with all of them. Um, oh, so be- wow. between the I'm 50 I'm
0: I need to be part of some of these. <laughs> I know,
1: yeah, it's, it can be overwhelming at times because there yeah. are a lot of people and a lot of conversations, but it spans, you know, the country and out of the country and you just learn so much. And so when you're talking about like professional development, you know, fitting it in or finding access to different things. I mean, that is a perfect way to do it. Uh, So I enjoy being connected in that. And of course, with ISTE, I'm involved in the teacher education network. I'm the president. I'm in the mobile learning network. And then different, like the ambassador programs for Buncee, Nearpod, Edmodo, always very supportive. Um, It's great to connect with them at, at conferences. And it's always nice to see who in your PLN is also involved in those same communities uh, and get ideas from them too. So yeah, I do stay pretty active for <laughs> for somebody who was staying a lot in isolation for many years. So I think it's a good thing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing.
0: I mean, knowing that you're president of the teacher ed, um, I'm in that one. And so I'm not very active, but um just okay. knowing that you're being president, I know all the work that you do. It's it's amazing. So, um there's one more that I was gonna ask you about. But now I thought well, well, gladiators, I know but I know about that, but what is the core warrior?
1: It is a group of educators with gladiators that are like the, the main group, I guess you could say. And so there are, I believe, I'll probably be off on the number, but between 10 and 12 of us, uh, Marlena Gross-Taylor and Paul O'Neill, Derek McCoy, uh, just to name a few. And so we are kind of like the the core group, I guess, of the gladiators that kind of facilitate the chats each week. And just stay connected also in Voxer. And uh, we'll be getting together in April in Nashville for a weekend to uh, work on some writing. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Oh, and they're all wonderful. They are. I mean, Marlena, she does. I mean, just watching the videos and uh, I know. some of the things she's doing. She and I know amazing. all of them. I mean, I know all the same people. There's just wonderful. And um, I just want to mention Buncee because some people don't know about Buncee. Can you just kind of describe it? Because I love that you're an ambassador.
1: Yeah, Bunsy is like my favorite tool that it just keeps adding more and more to it. And I know with educators, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I don't have time to start, or my students, they have so many different interests but it truly has been something that I enjoy creating with, and it doesn't matter if you're in school, if you're an adult, there's something for everybody, but it's a, it's a multimedia presentation tool, and it makes it so easy to create these amazing presentations, even business cards. I mean, I could go on and on for like oh, hours about cool. it, but yeah, when I've presented conferences and I ask people, there's kind of like a 50-50. Some people mm-hmm. have uh, either never heard of it or they've heard of it and not used it, and when I show them mm-hmm. and they start creating with it, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, I'm just looking
0: at all the things you know. I mean, I love Flipgrid and um, I I love a lot of the things that you've mentioned here. Definitely, we'll leave this long list in here, but someone might have some questions. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd be happy to answer. Uh, We'll put some contact information. So let's get on to your books that you're writing. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Three books, three books, you said, right? Yes. Okay, so tell us what's going on.
1: Okay, so the first one is it's going to be called Unconventional and it's part of the Unseries that Chuck Poole wrote the first book, Unforgettable, uh, under the Times 10 publications with Mark Barnes. And so mine is just unconventional, like going like thinking differently in the classroom, uh, changing things up and breaking, you know, the traditional way maybe you've done things. So that one I'm pretty excited about because it's it was the first one that I started to work on. Uh, and then also <laughs> right around the same time that I I was fortunate to sign that agreement I signed on with EduGladiators to write a book that is just about education, thinking about the future uh, based on what we're doing now, what we've done in the past. And that book was the first one I've with EduMatch also that I'm I'm doing two of them. That I have guest vignettes, uh, I have chapters being written by different educators, but I kind of realized like in the middle of working on them, that I was the one that kind of had to do all the editing and putting everything in together. But it's pretty exciting because sharing the stories of other educators, like it's me writing the book, but it's not just my story. And I, and that was really important to me to share the stories of other educators who may be sharing their stories, but I think that they're so powerful and can have an impact on so many other people that I want them to be in some place that I can then share them. So the one with edgy gladiators will be, it has quotes, which quotes are huge in my life. I just, I remember them. I read them. That's like what I take away from books. And then the edgy match book is called in other words, and it does focus on quotes as well. And the structure of that will be me giving some, you know, ideas or sharing my experience based on a quote, some vignettes tied into that. And then the next chapter that follows will be a guest chapter. That's kind of like in other words. And then it's a featured guest chapter. Uh, and for both of those books, I have students who wrote a chapter, which is also pretty exciting. Yeah, they're seniors. They've been with me for five years doing presentations, and they, they wrote chapters in each book. So that's I'm extremely excited about that for them.
0: Oh, that is wonderful. And you'll probably have websites to go with it and maybe even some videos,
1: right? All of the above. I do <laughs> I do have bookmarks now. I have bookmarks, which that's kind of fun to to pass those out, you know, a little bit more official, but... Yeah, it's it's a, it's an awesome journey. Definitely a lot of learning.
0: So when you said they're coming out in
1: spring, which is pretty soon, right? I, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting when you know the whole process of it. You you don't often know all the steps in the process, and every every company, every publishing publisher is different. And so some of them, you know, they have a copy editor or some they might have the initial edit and then you have a focus group. So it just depends. Uh, I know that the EduMatch book should be out probably mid-April, uh, fingers crossed. The unconventional, I'm hoping late April or beginning of May. And EduGladiator is probably somewhere around that time too. I know that it's in, the, it's in editing right now. So we will see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Can't wait to get to that point. Well, you'll have, I have a feeling you'll have a lot of these
0: done by, or published by ISTE then.
1: I hope so. That would be oh, yeah. really That'd awesome. That'd be amazing. You'll <laughs> have to be.
0: let them know. I know. <laughs> can share them. Oh, this is amazing. Um, We've covered so much.
1: Is there anything that else you would like to share? No, you don't want to do that because like, if you give me a microphone or an opportunity to speak, I usually say I don't <laughs> like speaking in public, but my students will say, you give her a microphone and she just keeps talking. Uh, because I get, I get so excited to talk about, especially when it's about what the students are doing yeah. uh, or education. Um, and, and so you, I could talk forever. You give me a topic and I will talk. But no, I mean, I just, I enjoy learning. I enjoy sharing what, what I'm doing, what the students in my classroom are doing. And I always tell people, you know, if you have questions, if you have ideas, if I if I presented something and, you know, I missed a point or something like, please let me know or just you know reach out to me, contact me, because I'm always happy to exchange stories, share resources. I mean, that's what it's really about is it's not just like I'm teaching my students like we all have that responsibility to educate all of the students because there are they're future <laughs> regardless of where you live. Um, and so I think that, you know, the power of connecting is so strong and it's so easy to do now, especially with the different tools we have for communicating like Voxer or Zoom or you name like Twitter. And they're all, I
0: mean, that's how I followed you. Your blog is called Learning As I Go, and I'm going to put a link to that. Um, definitely your Twitter handle handle, and the Twitter chats that you're part of, especially Formative Chat, which is on Mondays right after mine. Yours is at 4.30 uh, Pacific time, 730 Eastern time. So, well, we'll have to get you back <laughs> and just do another conversation so you can just talk. Um, this has been amazing. I, I learned so much about
1: you I didn't even know. It's it's great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, I have an interesting background and, you know, sometimes the students will say, well, what school didn't you go to or what, what don't you do? And I, say, I just like the opportunities. I like to learn, try things that are different. I mean, you only get one shot, so you might as well just go for it and see what happens. And, you know, when, when somebody says, Well, I don't like that, I'll say, Well, you may not, but you never know. Because, like, I took French in high school and I'm not teaching French anymore, just the Spanish. And so, if you would have told me, Oh, you'll be teaching Spanish, I'd like, be like, I don't even take Spanish. So, you never know where you're going to end up. It's just about trying to embrace different opportunities and figure it out as you go. Well, that's a great way to end this. (laughs) Because
0: we never know where we're going to go. That's right, I
1: know. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Rochelle. This has been wonderful. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that we were able to talk and uh, it was great to see you in October. And I can't wait to see you in Philly. That's right. So have a wonderful rest of the day and stay warm. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Rochelle Denae Poth. Look for a complimentary blog post about Rochelle, and this is where we pull together resources and links for you. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and we'd love a review. You can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net, and then you will receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.